This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with a peek at what was going on politically in the U.S. in the early 50s. I Was a Communist for the FBI was a 1951 American film noir crime film that starred Frank Lovejoy. Now, it was also a radio show starring Dana Andrews that ran from April 23rd of 52 until October 14th of 1953. The film and radio show are, in part, artifacts of the McCarthy era, as well as a time capsule of American society during the second Red Scare. The purpose of both is to partly warn people about the threat of communist subversion of American society. The tone of the show is ultra-patriotic, with communists portrayed as racist, vindictive, and tools of a totalitarian foreign power, the Soviet Union. The film was based on a series of stories written by Matt Sevick that appeared in the Saturday Evening Post. The stories were later turned into a best-selling book and radio series. The story follows Sevick, who infiltrated a local Communist Party cell for nine years and reported back to the FBI on their activities. Matt Sevick, who works in a Pittsburgh steel plant, has been infiltrating the Communist Party for the FBI in Pittsburgh for nine years. Now, during this time, he's been unable to tell his family about his dual role, so they assume that he is a genuine believer in communism and despise him for it. Tonight, we hear the episode, Riot Made to Order. I was a communist for the FBI. Starring Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I was a communist for the FBI. about to hear a strange story. Names, dates, and places are, for obvious reasons, fictional. But many of these incidents are based on the actual experiences of Matt Sevedic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Sevedic. I've heard people call him crackpots, harmless crackpots. They were speaking of the members of the Communist Party in this country. I was one of those communists for nine years. I reported their conspiracy against the United States from within. Crackpots? Like spiders spinning webs. Harmless? Like tigers stalking their prey. Here's just part of the story. In a moment, listen to Dana Andrews as Matt Sovetic, Undercover Man.
Andrews as Matt Savetic, undercover man. This story from his confidential file is marked A Riot Made to Order. Hello? Matt Savetic. Speaking. Matt Condrexler. Yes? You sound surprised. You were told that I would contact you. Well, that's right. It's, it's just that here at work this, this time of day, I... I'm at the Regent Hotel, room 406. I have matters to discuss with him. When? Right now. That's how you received your orders in the Communist Party. Anytime, anywhere. And you obeyed to the letter, right now. I got up from my desk and there were a dozen pair of eyes watching me. Communist eyes. Some I had put in this department of the United States Employment Service myself. But I knew there were others watching, reporting. Had I shown any aggravation, any irritation, Drexel would have known about it immediately. I walked out with a smile, the perfect, obedient slave on the way to his master. Anton Drexel, small but muscular, intelligent, dark-featured. He had come from New York, a high-party functionary. He didn't bother shaking hands, he came right to the point. Comrade Zavetic. Comrade Drexel. You are satisfied that I am Drexel? I'm satisfied. You've never seen me before. You are too easily satisfied. Comrade Adams told me you would contact me. You did. That's good enough for me. The party isn't in the habit of making mistakes like that. Neither is the FBI. What do you want me to do, comrade? Throw you on the floor? Search you? Check your fingerprints? Wait for word from Moscow? What do you want? You have a temper, comrade Sovetic. I don't like talk about the FBI. You agree that we must be as careful as they are? Any party member knows that. What mistake did I make? You made none. I didn't accuse you of any. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Sit down, Comrade Sovetic. Thanks. What I have to say is greatest importance. Go ahead. Our leaders feel it's time for us to have publicity. Sympathetic publicity in the capitalistic newspapers of this country. That's clear. Yes, Comrade. A large meeting of the party members will be held in the hall two nights from now. It will be attended by the rank and file. Comrade Adams has the responsibility of filling the hall. I see. At a signal, the meeting will be raided by the pickets outside. There will be a riot. Comrade Grotsunov and a sound truck will set off the riot. A question, comrade. Yes. We've had many such meetings before, and none was ever picketed. Where will they come from this time? The Cargus Manufacturing Company nearby. Our comrades in the plant have done their work well. They cry, stop the commie rats before they take over the country. Those stupid workers are filled with patriotism. They'll turn out of the hundreds. The riot cannot fail. And after the riot, we blame the fascist police, the citizen Gestapo who interfered with our rights of free speech and free assembly. Exactly. Our comrades become martyrs. Others will rally to our cause and sympathy. Why do you tell me this, comrade? Everything is arranged. There's nothing for me. Oh, on the contrary. Everything depends upon you. 
You are responsible for the boys of the control commission, Comrade Svetik. They will mingle with the pickets, inciting them. At the signal, they will lead them into the hall. This riot cannot fail. But our own comrades in the hall, unarmed, they might be killed. Should anything so unfortunate occur, it will be to their glory to die serving the party. You are under orders, Comrade Sovetic. I shall execute my orders, Comrade Drexel. Anything more? You'll have help in your assignment. Comrade Franz will assist you. I don't need any help for this. I've done it before by myself, and besides, I don't... Do you object, Comrade? I'm sorry, Comrade. The party knows best. Will that be all? I shall be at that meeting. Good day, Comrade Svetik. That was all. Just arranged for several hundred human beings to have their skulls cracked, their teeth knocked out. It was like sending invitations for a banquet, a banquet of death. I walked down the hotel corridor from Drexel's room to the elevator. I had to get to a phone, call my FBI contact. Hello, Comrade Svetik. Remember me? He seemed to come out of the woodwork like a termite. Otto Franz, my assistant. Had I protested too much at the meeting with Drexel? Then it hit me. Otto Franz had been arranged for before the meeting. Why? I didn't need any help on this job, and they knew it. But what else did they know? And what was Otto Franz? A tail or a hatchet man? Hello, Otto. Comrade Otto to you, Svetik. Where did you come from, comrade? It doesn't matter. Let's go to work, huh? Sure. What do we do first? That's up to you. I just go along and do whatever you say. Uh, you can see her tonight when you go home. Look, comrade, you can follow me wherever I go. Those are your orders. But you're not telling me where I can go. Those are my orders. Otto Franz, party liner, faithful hound. The crack of the whip was all he understood. Nothing would pry him from my side. He had his orders, and so had I. We took a cab, and I gave the driver an address. Did you move to a new place, comrade? I'm going to see my doctor first. Something wrong? Uh, my stomach's been upset lately. Maybe you're nervous. Maybe. I got some powders I take from my stomach. Got them right with me. How about some? I'm paying the doctor. I'll do what he says. Just wanted to save you some money. That's all. Thanks. He stayed with me like a headache, right into the doctor's waiting room. When the doctor was ready to see me, I knew he wanted to follow, but he didn't quite have the nerve. I told Doc I wanted to find out how my mother was, and he told me in two words. Not good. I asked if I could use his phone. He nodded and went into his laboratory. So far, I was getting all the breaks. Miller speaking. Randy Fletcher. Go ahead, Matt. They're staging a riot at Liberty Hall day after tomorrow. Several hundred party followers in the hall, and that many pickets or more outside. On signal, the pickets raid the meeting. Go ahead, Matt. Go ahead? It's up to you fellows now. You've got to stop this thing. 
We can't move in on anything like this, Matt. I'm afraid you'll have to carry the ball on this one. Look, I've got a tail on me right now. Everything's been set. What do you expect me to do? I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, but this yeah, is you. Yeah, I know. It's my baby. From the doctor's office, we went to my home. My mother's condition had me worried. Her heart had been weak for a long time. There was always the chance that she might die, still believing that I was a real communist. If my brother Tip was home, there would be real trouble, especially when he saw Otto. He hated me, but he hated my commie friends even worse. Tip wasn't there. I almost felt good. The little breaks were coming my way, but I needed a big one. Real big. Otto showed a rare streak of decency. Your mother upstairs, comrade? In bed. I'll wait here in the parlor. You go up and see her. But don't take too long. We got work to do, remember? I remember, comrade. Great. But what's this I hear about you? Oh, with me is nothing. Just a little tired. You the one I worry about, Matt. There's nothing to worry about. I'm doing fine. <laughs> Just look at me. Oh, you are in trouble, Matt. The government, Matt. Those men from Washington. The FBI. Yes? They're after you, I know. Mom, you're all wrong. Won't you listen to me? All the time I pray for you, my boy. That God should make you give up what you are doing against the government of America. But, Mom, can't you see... Promise me, Matt. So little I ever ask from you. I I can't, Mom. (laughs) What? Are you all right? It don't matter no more. How can I be all right when against the United States one of my boys is working? Look, Mom, I, I got to run along now. Next time I want to see you up and around and baking a cake, you hear? Still I pray for you, Matt, that God should take care of you. You are still my boy. And the mother can't forget... And I was a communist for the FBI and the second act of our story. Otto stayed with me the next two days. He never let me out of his sight. We took a hotel room because I told him my mother was too ill and I didn't want to bother her at home. Why was I given this insignificant job and a guard? Did they suspect I might sabotage their riot if I had a chance? In two days, I hadn't been able to think of a single plan. And then the phone rang. 
That's the phone, comrade. It's for you. You amaze me, comrade France. You must be psychic. Answer it. Yes? Comrade Sovetic. Speaking, comrade Drexel. The meeting is tonight. I know. You have done your work? There was nothing to be done until this afternoon. You will see to it? Certainly. Let me talk to Comrade Franz. One moment. He wants to talk to you, Comrade. Hello? Yes. Yes. No, nothing like that. had been pushed from hotel windows. The papers called it suicide, and the public believed the papers. I started toward the door. It's time to round up the boys for tonight, comrade. Comrade Drexel seemed a little worried that I'd not done it before this. I know. Well, uh, are you coming, or do you stay here? I got my orders, comrade. I go with you. I picked for this job was just like all the others, maybe a little more so. Muscle men, powerful guys, and deadly. We met them in the back room of a cheap restaurant, two dozen of them, maybe a few more. Okay, comrades, let's have it quiet. You'll gather tonight at 8 o'clock in the street in front of Liberty Hall. Pickets from the Cargus Company will be on hand before you get there. Wear your regular street clothes so as to look just like the other pickets. Mix with them, but stay away from each other. And get this, no guns. I'm going to say that again. No guns. You can use brass knucks, lead pipe in a newspaper, or saps. You've got plenty to work with, but no guns. A comrade in a sound truck will be yelling for a peaceful picketing with no violence. It's your job to make the pickets forget him and raid the meeting and start the riot. Okay, that's all. Nice work, comrade. Thanks. Comrade Drexel will be pleased. Everything that night went according to schedule. It always does when the commies are behind it. They're thorough. They don't miss a trick. The plans are laid days ahead. You hope for a slip-up, but you never get your wish. When we got to Liberty Hall, the street out front was alive with pickets. They were angry, but not looking for trouble yet. Everything goes well, Comrade Svetik. Yeah, everything's great. There are plenty here to cause serious trouble. That was the idea, wasn't it? Of course. We should be happy, Comrade. I'm happy. Remember, boys, this is a peaceful picketing. We want law and order. Let's have no violence. This is a protest against those commies inside. This is the United States, where we do everything by thousands. Keep it peaceful, boys. Keep walking around. 
that Gratzinoff is doing his work well. Yeah. Have you seen any of our goons caught around? Several. There's one. Talking to that thicket. Yeah, I see him. Well, there's another one buttonholing a couple of guys. They're here and they're working. It is good combat setting. Yeah. Let's go in the hall. Why? There's nothing more to do here. It's just a question of time. Maybe we can help in there. As you say, comrade. Inside the hall, everything was proceeding according to schedule. There wasn't an empty chair in the place. It was like a sheep pen with Comrade Adams, the ringleader, on the stage leading them to slaughter. And there you have an example, comrades, of this freedom America votes. Right outside these doors, above a pickets, the fascist police of the United States are protesting our right of free assembly. That's why we are here tonight, to protest this wanted usurpation of our rights, to demand what our forefathers... The party line, the same old hogwash. And they believed every word of it. Then I heard the crowd outside getting nastier. It was almost time for my goons to lead them in. I began to sweat. There must be something I could do. There must. And then a wild idea hit me. I turned to Otto. I'm in France. Lock the front door. Are you crazy? Do what I say. But why? You said if a mob walks in through an open door, they're liable to start talking things over. Make them break down a door and there's no talk, just violence. That's a smart idea, comrade. I'll do it. Locking the doors was just a stall for time. I wanted to get at the automatic sprinkling system backstage. I got there just in time to meet Drexel and Adams and the rest of the big shots on their way out the back door. They weren't risking their skins. Congratulations, Comrade Sovetic. You've done your work well. We shall meet in my hotel room as soon as this is over. Comrade Adams and I go. Come along, Sovetic. We've set the fuse now. Let her blow. I'll wait for Comrade France. He's out front. Good. Make it so. standing right next to a wall ladder. It led up into the rafters, and from there, I could reach one of the valves of the sprinkling system and melt off the protective wax cap. I started up the ladder, and I saw Otto coming back. I jumped down. He hadn't seen me. Your idea works, comrade. Listen to them. They're like wild beasts outside. Good work, comrade. When those doors break, hundreds will be hurt. out of the hall. I gave him the heel of my hand at the base of his neck. He went down in a heap and stayed there. I shinned up the ladder and held my lighter under the valve. No one saw me. The commies inside were panicked. They didn't know what to do next. The pickets were stopped at the door, but it wouldn't be for long. I heard the door go. I heard the pickets crash through. I had to stop this somehow. Lives depended on it. I broke out into a sweat. Would that valve never melt? I held the flame closer, and then the valve melted. The water rushed through the pipes, and it rained all over the hall. A hard, cooling, steady rain that could put out fires. A rain that could put out a riot. I came down the ladder. Otto was still on the floor. The commies had found the back exit. They were pouring out like drowned rats. The pickets were backing out the front door. They didn't want any part of that flood. The riot had come a cropper.
Comrade Drexel was waiting for me in his hotel room, but I had to make one stop before that, a crummy little gem on Denton Street. I knew the owner, Mac, a hulking, punch-drunk ex-pug. He knew me slightly. He never asked questions. When you can't think anymore, there's nothing to ask about. Listen, Mac, I haven't got time to argue. It's a matter of life and death. I want you to go over my face and go over it good. With gloves, huh? No gloves. Bare fists. I gotta look like I was really beat up. Blood, too? Yeah. Everything I'd get if four or five guys jumped me. <laughs> well, it might hurt you. I told you this is a matter of life or death. Now, go ahead. Well, okay. Just as a favor. No hard feelings. No hard feelings. <laughs> oh. Mac began to blur. I knew I had enough. He helped me to the door, and I staggered into the night. Come in. Savetti. There he is. He slucked me and turned on the water. Silence. What? What happened, comrade? They, they slugged Franz first, and they jumped me. I fought them until I passed out. Who were they? Five of them. I never saw them before. Pickets? Maybe. None of ours, though. They turned on the water? I don't know. I guess so. I was out cold. I tell you, the only guy around me when I got slugged was Svetik. He turned on the water. And then beat myself to a pulp? Is that it, Calvert? Unfortunately, Comrade Svetik, suspicion points to you. Okay. Okay, so I slugged Otto. I turned on the water, then I beat myself unconscious. If that's the way you want it, that's the way it is. You're acting as a control commission. Okay. I confess everything. Let's get this over with. I've remarked before, Svetik, your violent temper. Why not? I've done everything I could to make this job a success. And then I'm questioned like a dirty, double-crossing traitor. In the name of the party. What more do you want from me? Take it easy, Savetic. Sure. Sure, I'll take it easy. You need a doctor's care, Comrade Savetic. I suggest that you go immediately. The story seems true. Your face is proof of that. But we shall investigate further. Is that all, Comrade? That is all. For now. <laughs> I left the hotel, and I felt good inside, in spite of the pain. I had stopped a riot. They'd investigate further, but they wouldn't find anything. I was sure of that. I'd covered everything, and for a while, I was safe. I was safe to continue the double life, safe to tread the dim line between darkness and light, safe to walk alone. Andrews will return in just a moment. This is Dana Andrews. These stories, many of them based upon actual events and happenings in the real-life experiences of Matt Savetic, 
are brought to you in order that you may be aware of the insidious working from within of the Communist Party. Our greatest danger lies in being unaware. Our greatest safety in a knowledge of what we are fighting against. For this reason, I urge you to listen again next week when we will dramatize another exciting adventure from the official records of Matt Savetic. Join us then, won't you? Stay tuned for The Bob Hope Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Bob Hope Show with special guest Lucille Ball. Better break, swan soap lady. You get a better break. You get a better break. You get a better break with a cake of swan. From Hollywood, California, Lever Brothers Company, the makers of swan, bring you the new Bob Hope Swan Show. singing star Doris Day, our guest Lucille Ball, a new singing sensation Bill Farrell, Irene Ryan, the four hits and a miss, the new Les Brown band, and yours truly, Hi Aberback. We get a better break with Swan, how about you? Yes, how about you? Who, me? I just got back from a 10,000-mile tour. We traveled so fast, I didn't even have a chance to get a haircut. Say, your hair is long. You said it. When I got off the plane, a reporter came up to me and said, when are you going to marry Ali Khan? And now, Bob Hope's Swan's Eye View of the News. Moscow, Russia. Moscow, Russia, oh yes. Uh, this week... <laughs> nice to have the right script in your hand. <laughs> this week, in order to increase the circulation of money and expand business, the Soviet government employed magazines, radios, and billboards in launching a vast advertising campaign in the manner of the American businessman. Yes, sir, the Russians are now advertising just like we do. Imagine a signboard with a big picture of Joe Stalin and underneath it says, I'm lovely, I'm engaged, I lux out my mustache and Drano. <laughs> They're copying a lot of our products in Russia. They even got a drink called Vodka Cola. You drink a bottle, grab a smudge pot and do your own skywriting. And Russian advertising has even adopted some of the American slogans. Now they got smoke, unlucky, strike itchkas and feel your level worst. Two lifesavers, don't be an unpleasant peasant, and use Stanislavski's girdles. They lift the blockade. <laughs> and the Russians have a new car in the market, the Stalin V8. Instead of a bumper in front, it's got a mustache. And underneath the hood, there's no motor, just Molotov on a treadmill. <laughs> Even though the Russians can buy all sorts of products, they're still not allowed to be too happy. They got a thing called Kremlin candies. There's something like Lifesavers, only there's no flavor, no taste, no sugar. Kremlin candies just sit on your tongue and look stupid. <laughs> Lately, the Soviet government has been copying our methods of making breakfast cereals, too. Of course, the Russians have everything a little mixed up. They've been putting the cereal in the bowl and shooting the people out of guns. <laughs> 
they modernized the political advertising over there, too. The government just started running a new ad. It's a picture of two chairs with a man sitting on one of them and a sign underneath, which twin disagreed with Stalin? <laughs> After two weeks on the road doing another series of personal appearances, the Bob Hope Swan Troop returned home here today. I've been away from home so long that when my little boy opened the door this morning, he said, we don't want any fuller brushes, and slammed the door in my face. <laughs> then I knocked again and told him I was his father, and he slammed the door in my face again. <laughs> but what a trip. Our plane made a perfect four-point landing. It's the last time I put my head out of the window on the way down. <laughs> we visited Texas again on this trip. That's real cow country, you know. I was sure of it when the governor shook hands with me one finger at a time. <laughs> and I sure stayed a lot of hotels on this trip. I now have the only bathroom in Hollywood with towels marked his, hers, and Statler. <laughs> Business was good everywhere, but money is getting a little scarce around the country. I won't say how tight money was, but I got a $5 bill in one town, and both of Lincoln's eyes were bloodshot. <laughs> When we arrived in Providence, the band was playing Columbia, the gem of the ocean, and an NBC man said, Egad, have they bought that too? <laughs> it really was foggy at the airport this morning. When our plane landed, I bent over and kissed the ground, and a gopher looked up at me and said, of course, you know that means we're engaged. <laughs> From St. Johnsbury, Vermont to San Jose, California, all across the country, swan rappers are pouring in to care. Yes, America has opened its heart to the 30 million little children in Europe who need soap, almost as desperately as they need food. Soap helps prevent disease. Nothing fights germs like cleanliness. And a little thing like soap boosts morale, too. Let's not forget that. And now, soap is actually going to be sent abroad, lots of it, with your help. It's the great Care Swan Soap campaign. The campaign to send white floating swan to kids in Europe through Care. That great nonprofit, government approved organization which has already delivered so many packages to the needy in Europe. Here's how the Care Swan campaign works just buy two or more cakes of swan soap. Keep the soap for your own use. And mail the wrappers, two or ten or a dozen if you want, to Care, C A R E, Boston 1, Massachusetts or to your local NBC station. For every two wrappers received, Lever Brothers Company will send a regular-sized cake of swan through care to some little kid over there. Delivery is guaranteed. You want to get in on this great plan of swans? Just remember, over in Europe, there are 30 million little kids who need soap. And who knows, maybe if some of that dirt is washed away, there might be a smile showing. So start those swan wrappers coming to care, won't you? All wrappers must be mailed before August 1st, 1949. The address again is CARE, C-A-R-E, Boston 1, Massachusetts, or your local NBC station. Start your swan rappers coming tomorrow. Here's another tune by those Oscar snatchers, Evans and Livingston. Their latest effort written for the Paramount picture, Sorrowful Jones. And who could introduce it better than Doris Day? seem to say maybe love is on its way I'm having a wonderful wish time you were here the town 
in no mood to just sit by. I'm having a wonderful wish. Time you were here. Couples on the corner laughing, loving, make me feel so alone. I'd really like to do some loving in a twosome all my own. Why must they keep the moon so bright? I won't sleep awake to the night. I'm having a wonderful wish. She's been waiting so long. Time you were here. Couples on the corner laughing, loving, make me feel so alone. I'd really like to do some loving in a twosome. Oh my own Why must they keep the moon so bright I won't sleep a wink tonight I'm having a wonderful wish Been waiting so long Time you were here, my darling Time you Thanks, Doris. You sang that song even better than you did at my party the other night. Oh, thanks, Bob. Is that the first one of my parties you've been to this year? Oh, no, Bob. I've been to all of them. Don't you remember? I bought a season ticket, paid $14 for it. <laughs> oh, yes. That's one of the bleacher seats in my front room, yeah. But this party was sure different, wasn't it, Doris? You know, I gave it for the crew of the United Airlines plane that took us on our trip. Oh, I know, and it was certainly clever of you to fix your house up so it looked like an airplane. Why, you even had wings on the sides of it and landing wheels painted out in front. Yeah, the wings should have had flaps, but Sidney Greenstreet refused to sit up there in his underwear. (laughs) But the people were sure surprised when they arrived to find my house looking like an airplane. Yes, and when Les Brown's drummer walked in, I noticed for the first time he was only three feet tall. Yeah, I should have told him about that propeller on the front porch. (laughs) at the party, and I sure liked the plane crew, especially Captain Kesick. What about him? Oh, he had such nice technique. When he met me, he kissed my hand, Bob. Yeah, those pilots are all alike. They start on your hand and try for altitude. (laughs) Boy, Boy, those aviators really went for that food, didn't they? Yes, what there was of it. Bob, why do you serve such small portions? Were they small? Small. It was bad enough that the steaks were tiny, but when anybody asked for some ketchup, you served it out of a ballpoint pen. (laughs) And what was that platter of stuff you had in the middle of the table? Nobody could figure out what it was. Yeah, I made that myself. I call it chicken surprise. Surprise? The part I got looked bewildered. (laughs) Well, the part of the chicken it came from can't see where it's going. Yeah, but you'll have to admit that gravy was something. Oh, it was something, but it wasn't gravy. (laughs) Thickest stuff I ever saw. Oh, stop exaggerating. The gravy wasn't so thick. Not much. The first time I ever saw anybody slice it up and then deal it. (laughs) 
Well, all I know is people called me the next day and said they never had a better time. Hello, Mr. Howe. Oh, hello, Miss Ryan. We were just talking about Bob's party the other night, which reminds me, Miss Ryan, I didn't see you dancing very much. Well, don't you know why? The orchestra made me leave the floor. They said when I danced, I threw them off the beach. (laughs) Well, how could you do that? Oh, I don't know, unless it was the swishing noise from my corduroy bloomers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're the latest thing, aren't they? I saw them advertise in Sears Roebuck's harness section. <laughs> of course, I shouldn't do very much dancing anyway on account of my weak back. Oh, is your back weak? Oh, I should say so. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't for that extra wide scotch tape and a starch bath every day, my spine would dangle like a petunia. <laughs> Well, have you seen an osteopath? Yes, and he took an x-ray picture of my spine, and when he developed it, he made 5,000 copies. 5,000 copies? Why? He sold them to the automobile club as a new route to Lake Arrowhead. (laughs) But you did have a good time at my party, eh, Miss Ryan? Oh! had such a good time since we put on the candy bazaar at my club. <laughs> oh, you mean last month when the girls in your club made candy and sold it? Yeah. Oh. They were candy kisses, and we sold them to the men. When somebody bought a box, they had to kiss the woman who they bought it from. <laughs> How'd you do? Well, Mrs. Schwartz isn't very good looking, but she sold 75 boxes, and I sold 75 too. Of course, Mrs. Schwartz and I got pretty tired of kissing each other. <laughs> Mrs. Schwartz. She's the one whose husband has a size three head. Size three? Yes. He's got a job as mechanic for the new Buick. He's the only man they could find with a head small enough to stick in those little portholes. (laughs) Oh, I remember him now. His wife uses his head to darn socks on. But tell me, Miss Ryan, how old are the other women in your club? Oh, they're all about the same as me. We're at that in-between age. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're at that in-between age? Yes. Our hearts are with Tyrone Power, but our names are on the Saratan mailing list. like to be personal, but why didn't you ever get married? Well, at one time, I used to correspond with a boyfriend, and the romance was going fine until I got serious. You see, in my last letter to him, I said, I'm going to marry you if it's the last thing I ever do. And what happened to him? I never knew until I saw his picture in the paper the other day. In what paper? Oh, all of them. He's the man who sealed himself in that room for ten years. (laughs) Bye now. Miss Ryan. And now here's High Everback to tell you how you can help get Swan Soap over to 30 million little kids in Europe. That's right, Bob. It's the Care Swan Soap campaign, and if everybody in the United States gets behind it, this campaign will get millions of cakes of soap over to those kids who really deserve a break. Well, I know they will, High, because America's made up of folks like the neighbors of heroic little Roberta Lee Mason, who pitched in and built her a new house after that fire out in the Plains, Illinois. It's an American tradition to help the other fellow when he's down 
And those little kids in Europe are down. They need soap. No wonder the swan wrappers are pouring in. They're coming from the most generous people in the world. Right, Bob. And here's the way the Care Swan Soap campaign works. Just buy lots of swan. Keep the soap for your own use. And send the wrappers to Care, Boston 1, Massachusetts, or to your local NBC station. For every two wrappers received, Lieber Brothers Company will send one regular size cake of swan to a needy child in Europe through care. Hi, I do hope everybody listening gets in on this Care Swan campaign. I just think it's wonderful sending soap to those little children in Europe. Well, Doris, it's so easy to help. Remember, just send swan wrappers, two or as many as you want, to Care, Boston 1, Massachusetts, or to your local NBC station. And all swan wrappers must be mailed before August 1st. So how about it? Start those swan wrappers coming tonight. band opens tonight at the Palladium here in Hollywood. We'll all be there to jump with those musical gypsies, all of us including Billy Farrell, ladies. I let my heart fall into careless hands, careless hands that broke my heart in two. You held my dreams like worthless grains of sand. Careless hands Don't care when dreams slip through I brought you joy And dear, I love you so But all that sunshine Didn't make the roses grow If you don't change Someday you'll know the sorrow Of careless hands That can't hold on to love Here's the gal I had the pleasure of working with in the forthcoming Paramount Picture, Sorrowful Jones, my favorite redhead, Lucille Ball, right here. Gee, you're looking lovely tonight, Lucille, and what a hairdo. Oh, you like it, huh? Yeah. If you get together with a boy with the green hair, you'd make a great traffic signal. <laughs> Well, Bob, it is nice seeing you. We haven't seen each other since we made Sorrowful Jones. Yes, Sorrowful Jones, a Paramount picture starring Lucille Ball and Bob Hope. Soon to be seen at your neighborhood theater. Good, clean entertainment for the whole family. Lodges, one dollar. Uh, general admission, 85 cents. And if you miss the picture, we'd be glad to come to your house with a projector. <laughs> Bob Welsh will be there with a the popcorn. <laughs> Barney Dean with the butter. You know I'm a lucky man, Lucille. What do you mean, Bob? Well, in one year, I worked with you in Sorrowful Jones and in The Pale Face with Jane Russell. Yeah, I bet you've got all the romantic leading men in Hollywood worried. You said it. Cary Grant's so worried he's having another dimple drilled in his chin. (laughs) 
But I loved working with you. You're the first actress that's never made a crack about my nose. Well, your nose never bothered me, Bob. In fact, I appreciated it when I was working at Paramount. What do you mean? It was such an easy place to hang my coat every morning. <laughs> but you've got to admit we had a lot of fun doing the love scenes, Lucille. Oh, I meant to ask you, Bob. In the last scene, uh, where we kissed and I hugged you so tightly... Yes? Did I hurt you, honey? <laughs> No, you just let the air out of my shoulder pad. Sort right. <laughs> of a sympathy laugh. I didn't like that. <laughs> really, Bob, I, <laughs> I hope we get to make another picture together soon. I love working over at Paramount. Every morning, a little old lady would come into my dressing room, sweep up the place, empty the ashtrays, dust the furniture. I was so pleased with the service, I gave her a quarter every morning. That Crosby makes a fortune in tips. That little old lady was Crosby? Yes, you just didn't recognize him in his dust cap and house coat. Oh, I think that's terrible. What are you complaining about? Somebody got me a blind date with him once. <laughs> think how I felt rolling that lard around. But enough of the mildewed Mel Torme. How's your... Uh... <laughs> I made quite a production out of that, don't you think? <laughs> Say, how's your uh, radio show, My Favorite Husband, coming along? You're on that other network, aren't you? You mean CBS? Please, Lucille, that's like singing the Missouri Waltz in Drew Pearson's house. Please. <laughs> Anyway, it's not CBS anymore. They changed the name to BSC. BSC? Yeah, Benny's still counting. <laughs> well, I'm happy over there, Bob, and my show has a Hooper rating of 12. That means, theoretically, that uh, 12 million people listen to me. Oh, that's nothing. I've got a Hooper in 93. 93? Yeah, that's the age of the old lady in Pasadena that listens to me. <laughs> Tell me, Lucia, what's your show about? Well, it's called My Favorite Husband, and in it, I'm married to a man who never grumbles and who, no matter how bad things get, always has a cheery word. Who's your husband, Gabriel Heater? <laughs> I wish you could see some of those married couples I saw on my last tour. You'd really have some material. What do you mean? Well, for instance, take that couple in Kentucky. Howdy, Ma. Home from work? Yep, and I got big news for you, Ma. I got a raise today. You mean you got more money? Nope, it still blew up. <laughs> well, Paul, we're gonna set down to supper soon. You'd better wash up. Wash up again? Land sakes, Paul. When's the last time you did wash? Now, let me see. This is Tuesday. Before that was Monday, Sunday. Next Saturday, be ten years. <laughs> Paul, how can you go for 10 years without washing? Willpower. <laughs> Here, Ma, have a chaw of tobacco. Thanks, Paul. Ma. Yes, Paul? That's my thumb. My tobacco's in the other hand. <laughs> I've got news for you, Paul. What is it, Ma? There'll soon be the pitter-patter of little feet upstairs. Well, I guess it's time to DDT again. 
Hey, okay, Ma, get the children in the house and we'll eat. All right, I'll get Lamb, Clam, Rufus, Walter, Albert, Effie, Mae, Janie, Betty, Lou, Charles, Cy, Jack, Fred, George, and Ellie, Billy, Clarence, Hiram, Helen, and Jean. And I'll get John, Harvey, Cletus, Zeke, Dan, <laughs> Judy, Joe, Nancy, Carolyn, Bertie, Eleanor, Little, Daisy, Sam, Kate, Tom, Abner, and Teddy. Well, that takes care of the twins. Who'll get the single ones? <laughs> Another interesting husband and wife I ran across, Lucille, was a Brooklyn cab driver and his bride. Hey, hi there, Rita. Hello, Allie. <laughs> Boy, it's good to be home. I'm beat. I had a tough day today. Some tough day, hanging around the polo grounds, kicking DeRocher. <laughs> Surprise for you I was talking to mother today Your mother? Not mother Mother A mother is a horse I know If your old lady Hadn't broken her leg She'd have won as much money As citation <laughs> Oh, you should talk Your family's no bargain either I beg your pardon My father happened to be A great lawyer Well, he had to be Your mother was a pickpocket Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, keep quiet Yeah, <laughs> Me, married to a cab driver Ain't you got no ambition? What'd you want to be when you were a little boy? A little girl. <laughs> a little girl? Yeah, I always wanted a sister. <laughs> <laughs> now let me alone. Fine reception I get after I had such a big day out in the street with my cab. A big day. What happened? You run over a cop? No, I got a $10 tip. <gasps> oh, a $10 tip. Oh, well, goodness. I just love them, Biggie Wiggy, Alzy Walzy. <laughs> Rita Weeda's going to kissy wissy, my great big daddy, Alekin. <laughs> what I already blew the ten. I bought a couple of drinks for the boys at the corner saloon. Oh, of all the nerve. You're always down at the saloon. Why don't you drink at home with me? I'd rather see elephants and snakes like the other fellas. <laughs> that does it, you brute. I'm going home to mother. And if I leave here, our marriage is through. See? You'll never hear my voice again. You'll never eat another one of my meals again. If I leave here, you'll never see my face again. Now, what do you got to say? Taxi lady? <laughs> the memory of the progress being made in the cancer drive to aid research for cure that you ensure with every cent that's paid we thank you so much and thanks for the memory of doctors whose great role is curbing cancer's toll let's underwrite the doctor's fight Help them reach their goal. We thank you. We thank you so much. I want to thank Lucille Ball very much. Folks, if you were living in one of the battered towns of Europe and somebody gave you a choice between a gold wristwatch and a cake of soap, you'd reach for the soap. In thousands of homes in Europe tonight, the soap dish is empty, and believe me, it's tough on a mother's heart to see her children with grimy bodies and know that she's fighting a losing battle against dirt and disease. And that's why it's so wonderful you folks mailing all those swan soap wrappers to care, Boston 1, Massachusetts. 
You know, of course, that for every two swan wrappers you send to Care Boston One, Massachusetts, our sponsor is sending one cake of swan free to the kids of Europe. And brother, are you ever sending in the swan wrappers? It's wonderful. The need for soap for Europe's children is great. The more swan wrappers you send in, the more kids will be clean and healthy. Here's a cable from Robert Blake, director of American Aid to France. Meeting soap needs indispensable to restoration of decent health standards. Best wishes and success in campaign. Pierre Schneider, French Minister of Health Cables. All success to radio campaign bringing more health through care to war-damaged countries. Isn't this an easy way to do a wonderful deed, folks? Just mail two swan wrappers to care, Boston 1, Massachusetts, and a sponsor we're mighty proud to work for will put another cake of swan on those empty soap dishes in Europe. Thank you, and good night. Another fine product of Lever Brothers Company has presented the Bob Hope Show with Lucille Ball, Doris Day, Bill Farrell, Irene Ryan, Les Brown and his orchestra, and yours truly, High Aberback. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Boston Blackie, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.